Please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word in the Bible to Psalm 127. This is one of those uh, unique Lord's Days where both texts are coming out of the Psalms. So Psalm 127. And as you turn there in your copy of the Bible, uh, we uh, come back to our series on the family. We've spent time on marriage thus far, and now we are going to consider the raising up of children in the home. But before we come into specific duties that we have, we must begin with theological foundations. What is God's design for the children of believers? And that's what we seek to answer, uh, at least in a preliminary way today. As we continue in this series, we will answer the question in more clarity as time goes on. Let us hear now the word of God, Psalm 127. These are God's words, holy, inspired, and infallible. A song of degrees for Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come to your holy word, and now we come to hear it preached by your servant, this minister. We pray that you would bless the preaching of the word, that the the man who preaches now, that he would preach faithfully, that he would not preach his opinion because many men have opinions on children and child rearing, but instead we seek clarity from the mind of God. So help your minister preach only what is found in the word of God and those things that can be deduced and applied out of it. Would you send your spirit to fill the preacher and would you send your spirit to to fill the hearts and the ears and the minds of all those who will now hear this word. Father, we pray that you would do this, that uh, as our homes are ordered according to the word of God, we might better glorify you in our families, that our families would be little outposts of the kingdom, and that your name would be praised and blessed, and you would be glorified in our midst. Oh, Father, we know that you you love the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob, but how you love the dwelling places of Jacob. So bless our families now through the preaching of the word. And so we pray, Father, that you let my speech and my preaching be not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that the faith of the people of God should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, in our series on the Christian family, we have considered marriage thus far because marriage is the foundation of the family, established and ordained by God. We saw it as the great picture of the gospel itself, right? Showing the love of Christ for his bride, willing to lay down his life for his bride and the bride submitting to her husband out of love. And so having considered that, we now begin our sub-series on children. And more and more we are finding, even in Christian homes, this is an area of home life that is seriously disordered. Children even are unwanted, they are neglected, they are despised. And even when a family has them, that tends to be the case. They are even We've considered this a while ago, and this is what really shocks us, right? That children are so despised that they are often murdered before they are born. And some have even said that a child and a pet are interchangeable things in our society, not seeing that there's something unique about the image of God in a child. So today, what we need to do, living in such a society, is to consider what God has to say about children, what the Lord thinks about children, to have the mind of Christ in this matter so that we may understand our duties to children and the duties of children to parents better. Fundamentally today, you know, this might be the most challenging thing of all if you have been raised in our society, is to see children as a gift and a blessing from the Lord, an inheritance from God. 
You know, you can summarize really the idea of this whole sermon is this, that children are a blessing, not a burden. And yet society has put the other thought in our mind. Children are a burden and not a blessing. And if we think of them as a blessing that comes from God, right, then we would see our obligation to the Lord to raise them up in his nurture and his admonition. But if you think children are yours and yours to do with as you wish, you will raise them up as the world raises them. You will not consecrate them to Christ. And certainly, maybe parents, we need to ask this. Certainly, we can ask ourselves, when was the last time we blessed the Lord for giving them to us? Each and every day, we ought to bless the Lord for giving them for giving our children to us. And so with such thoughts to introduce our theme, let's consider our theme, which is very simple. Children are in heritage from the Lord. Children are in heritage from the Lord. And we'll consider that under three heads. First is the Lord's blessing. Second is the Lord's will. And third is the Lord's holy seed. First is the Lord's blessing. Now, some of you are likely tempted in this way to tune out or dread another long sub-series concerning a family situation that you believe doesn't concern you or doesn't apply to you. Maybe that's because of circumstances, right? Your time of life, maybe you're single, or maybe God's providence to you where you have been unable to have children. And so we have to ask the question, why does this matter? Whether you are single or you're married, you have children or not, whether you're widowed, whether you've had children, why does this matter? Well, first of all, it's because you and I must know all the counsel of God. Uh, In other words, our religion is not tailored to our life situation. We need to know all that God has to say on every matter, right? That is an obligation we owe to God. And second, and this is actually, I think, the deeper meditation for us today, is that the doctrine of children, you must see this, is applicable to you in every station of life. We're not thoughtful enough to think of it that way either. You know, if you are single or you're unable to have children or beyond child-rearing age, this is still God's word to you and to apply to you. Why? Why is that? Will you think on the question? Why does this apply even if you don't have children? Here are two immediate um, reasons to help you in that question. First is, if you're a member of this church, you have made a covenant promise before God to all the parents of children here. We take a solemn promise when a child is baptized. Do you, the members of this congregation, receive this child into your fellowship and promise to pray for him or her and to help and encourage the parents as they seek to bring him or her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? So you have vowed to do this, people of God. You have vowed to be a help to the children and the parents here. We are, you heard this morning, a covenant people. And we care for all the covenant people, including the children here. They are not less than an adult. They are all covenant people, the people of God. And so you, as you learn of the will of God, whether it's in this congregation or somewhere else, you may be called to impart wisdom, won't you? To a parent who is struggling to know the mind of God, not to usurp their authority, but to give counsel when needed with care and sensitivity. Second, to know God's mind concerning children, and this is actually, I think we're too prideful to think of it this way, actually gives you an understanding of your relationship to him. Have you ever considered that just as marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, that the raising up of children is uh, equated to God's relationship to his people? How does Hebrews 12, we are actually just in it um, uh, last Lord's Day, how does Hebrews 12 speak of God's discipline to you? You remember, it takes Proverbs 3 concerning the discipline of children and applies it to you. Hebrews 12, 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. That is an amazing verse. It speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. That's Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. But the construction of Hebrews 12, verse 5 is interesting. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children? So, 
You and I, when we come to the Word of God and we see an exhortation concerning children, are to remember that applies to us in our relationship to God. And so every matter that deals with children in the Bible has to do with you as well, people of God, if you're an adult. In other words, when you go to the Proverbs, don't just mind them for the sake of raising your children. Mind the Proverbs and all texts that speak of children as speaking unto you as unto children. Think of this it this way then, if you need more, more proofs, right? How does spe- Jesus speak of your conversion? The new birth, right? You are reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of God, with God as your father, Christ as the elder brother. And in an act of regeneration, right, the spirit who is called what? The spirit of adoption causes you to cry, Abba, Father. You are the children of God. And here's the thing. That ought to govern all of our relationship with the Almighty. We are the children. He is the Father. And we are to be obedient to God as Father. Now here's the thing for you parents. When you do not raise your children to respect you, that's going to be the next sermon about honor being the chief exhortation to children. When you don't make your children respect you, they are not going to grow up respecting God. And so if you have a care for their soul as Job did, you make sure they understand that in the home, they respect you. Otherwise, they will have no idea what it means to reverence God. And that is why our churches are filled with people who have no respect for God. Because they didn't learn it in the home. It used to be said that the home is the seminary of church and state. And that is what it ought to be. That a child learns in the home what it means to be a good citizen and what it means to be a good church member. And what it means to be in good relation with God as father. Third, for the boys and girls, for the children, this series is for you, and you'll see that more and more as it goes on. In later sermons, you will see your obligation to honor father and mother. But even today, in this text, as we mine this text, what you need to see is that God's design was that your birth to your parents was meant to be a blessing to them. Now, that obviously then has to work into your own little hearts. I ought to be a blessing to my parents. Right? I ought to honor them. I ought to love them. I ought to cherish them. I ought to respect them because God intends for me to be a blessing. And that also means for all of us, because all of us here were once children and have parents, if they are still living, we still must be a blessing to them. Whether they are a believer or an unbeliever, we are called to be a blessing to them. And this is what we have to understand, right? Is that this language has gotten so far away from our society. It used to be, and I still remember this from being a young child. uh, It used to be when a child was born, uh, even people who are unbelievers would look at the child and say to the parents, what a blessing. Look at this blessing. That language is virtually gone outside the church anyway. But they are a blessing and you are called to be a blessing. And this is what we have to understand here is no child is accidentally conceived, but purposefully given from the Lord by his own decree for his own purpose, which is good, holy, wise, and powerful. And as all of us here are children, right, that thought ought to grip you. You are not accidentally conceived. You are not accidentally born, but God has brought you into the world for purpose. And you must see it that way too, to be a blessing. Well, with that background then, let's consider our text. We don't have time to exegete the whole psalm, uh, but verse 1 tells us this truth, which sort of sets it in motion, that the Lord must build our house. And of course here, this is in context speaking of the the temple, right? Uh, But whatever house it is, whether it is home, church, or state, we must seek the Lord in every way to build our home. We must seek the Lord's will in the word of God, right? The the Lord's will is what is paramount in building a home. In prayer then, to pray for what the word has promised and says for us to do. And then in our exercise of faith, to build our home as the Lord would build it. He says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in what? Vain. There is no building of a house, not a blessed house, unless you labor 
uh, to see the Lord build it. And so with that in view then, that's the theme of the psalm, let's consider building our home with children. Go down to the third verse of the psalm and read, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. How does the verse begin? You know, we're, we're com- sometimes very guilty of going too quick, right? Uh, low, low down. Yeah, very good. It means, it begins with the interjection low. Slow down, as our brother said. Behold, right? It says stop and take notice. What, in other words, follows is immensely important for you to grasp. When the Bible speaks this way, there's something here against our flesh that we need to notice. What follows? Children are in heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. In other words, get this right. Calibrate your heart concerning children on this truth. What would that truth be to you? Children are a blessing and not a burden. How are they framed in our society? A burden and in no way a blessing. You know, this is so sad. Sometimes the first question, some of you ladies might know this, when you tell your doctor that you are pregnant, sometimes the first question is, do you want to keep it? That's where we are. Rather than our default position being, what a blessing from the Lord you have conceived. Because we don't see children as a blessing but a burden. I still vividly remember my sexual education class in, in sixth grade. One of the things I tried to remember is they tried to impress, uh, what I remember is they tried to impress on us as children how much time children take out of our lives and how we will probably not have a great career. Instead of speaking of how children ought to be the product of marriage alone, right, that it should be what they should have focused on. Their focus was to make you afraid of children to afraid of having children. Uh, They just sort of carpet bombed our souls and put into our minds that children are a bad thing, a burden instead of a blessing. And you will likely, if you have come out of the world, carry that thinking into your marriage as well and not want children even when you are lawfully called to have them. But again, and I will keep repeating this, the truth of the matter is children are a blessing and not a burden. And until you get that straight, everything will go wrong in your home. Here they are called an heritage of the Lord. What does that mean? They're an inheritance. An inheritance from God. And that must fundamentally change how we see them. Does the Bible call your career and your wealth an heritage of the Lord? Is your land called an heritage of the Lord? In fact... The land promised to Abraham was always subservient, wasn't it? To the true inheritance, wasn't it? It was Christ, Abraham's what? Seed. And all the children of promise that came out of Christ. He is his, his inheritance, right? What was the grief in his heart? His grief in his heart was not that he couldn't have land, but that they were beyond childbearing. And so when God gave him the promise, the most marvelous thing to him was that as the stars in the sky are, so will your descendants be. That was the inheritance. We are the children of Abraham. We are his descendants and we are his blessing. The Redeemer and the Redeemer's seed. And so you need to be deprogrammed, beloved, and you need to put your fears of children away. And you need to embrace every child. If the Lord gives you a child, embrace every child he has given you. If you are able to have children, have them. Do not just see them as another mouth to feed, but as another blessing from God. I have received more of an inheritance from God, praise the Lord. And my faith, if my faith is in that word, then I must walk by faith and not by sight. That he will not turn a blessing into a burden I cannot bear. You know, Satan hates the human race, absolutely despises children, because they are the, the, the seed of the expansion of the church. And this is why the world tries to program you into thinking only about yourself when it comes to matters of children, and not thinking about the bigger picture that the Lord is working. And that if, 
Even if, right, a child turns out to be like Esau, God forbid, I must believe the Lord will help me bear that burden. If I end up with a special needs child, are you going to think of this child as a burden? If in God's providence, right, you end up with a special needs child, again, the first question will be, do you want to keep it? And they will encourage you to terminate it. But are you going to think of it as a burden or as a blessing? See, you need to program your heart. This child is a blessing, a blessing that the Lord has given to you to give you an opportunity to show a child unconditional love, even as you have received from the Lord. A blessing for your own sanctification, perhaps your own growth in grace. A blessing to know that when you love these, the least of these, it is as though you are loving Christ himself. Never a burden, even when things are hard, right? This is what we don't understand in today's society, is that hard things can be a blessing. We always think a blessing is something that's light and breezy. But even hard things can be blessings. And on the last day, you will see how, if you don't know why now. Do you believe then, here's the question, Christian, do you believe in the infallibility of this word, which proclaims that children are an inheritance of the Lord? They are his blessing to you. If so, walk by faith and not by sight or feeling and bless the Lord for every child. So with that, let's consider our second heading, the Lord's will. Verse four says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. The three truths I think you can meditate in this verse. The first is, again, the children are a blessing and in this way, they are as arrows in a mighty man's hand. In other words, they are meant to be of use a blessing to the kingdom of God and also to your own home. This is countercultural in the extreme, both in the church and in society at large. This is why even in the church, right, children are shuttled off to youth programs. They're not seen as arrows that are of the master's use. They're meant to be of use in the kingdom, even in their present stage of life. And they're also meant to be of use even in your home today. Now, they are not, in other words, to be merely, uh, not in any way, rather, to be spoiled and to be catered to. Of course, let them enjoy life. I'm not saying to give them a life of burden. Must enable them to enjoy life, but they are useful, even at a tender age. And they are to be trained by you to be useful to church, state, and home in a godly way that would glorify God and have them enjoy him in the process of this training. And the second truth in that then is it takes skill, right, to utilize children in a way that profits you and Christ's kingdom. It says that they are to be aimed as arrows in a mighty man's hand, right, towards, aimed where? Towards the glory of God and the service of his kingdom. But here's the thing, right, if you have no skill in that, If you just have children and you send them off to school and give them their iPads, their Nintendos and television, just having them sort of roam about aimlessly, of course they will be of no profit to anyone for you are neglecting them in the sight of God. It takes real skill, just as a mighty archer has real skill in in shooting arrows. It takes real skill in raising children for the Lord. That'll be part of the, the, the substance of this series. But you need to put in your mind what the world does not, which is that children must be trained and utilized to be of use to your home and the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, right? If they are trained now, we'll get to the proverb later. If they are trained now, they will not depart from the way, right? They will continue in that same direction, aiming for the glory of God. You know, this will not come easy to you, You know, a mighty archer is not made mighty by nature, right? They don't begin that way. But it takes exercise and development of skill. And so parents, this takes the grace of God and it takes the pursuit of developing child-rearing skills. It doesn't just sort of end up in your head and in in your home by accident. This is one of your main callings, parents, to learn from God's word how to rear children that will be of use. And then you need to devote time to them. They are not to be an afterthought or appendage to your life. 
So many of us will pursue matters, even lawful matters, but neglect the children. Do not do this. And you need to form them as arrows when they can be formed and when they can be shaped, right? It's much harder to form a piece of wood into an arrow when, it is much, when it's ossified, so to speak, right? It's not impossible. Don't lose heart in that. But I've watched children sorely and sadly neglected uh, in the development of godliness at a tender young age. And what happens? Their character is now as stubborn as can be. A child needs to be formed and their will needs to be conformed by the Holy Spirit to godly conduct very early, very early in life. So much grief comes to parents who refuse to conform a child to the will of God early on. Uh, better divines have said things like this, right? It's much easier, much harder to bend an oak when it is uh, fully grown than when it is a sapling. The time, you know this if you've done any landscaping, to, to shape the, the direction of growth of a tree is when it is bendable. You wait till it becomes a mighty oak tree, it is virtually impossible. Yes, virtually impossible to turn its direction. And so, again, nothing is impossible for God, but don't tempt God. Don't tempt God. Form them early with their, in their youth. The third is, they are called the children of the youth in this verse. Meaning that should you have children, providentially able to have children, you are to do it when you are younger. This also goes against the grain of society. If God calls you to marriage... You must never make a resolution, right? Uh, we will have children someday, someday out there, right? Or certainly never make a resolution to not have children. This is one of the things that even in the Christian church, this would have been unthinkable in days before. But there are now young men and women coming into marriage and saying, we don't want children. Don't delay having them. You know, there are some who have and uh, very often lament because there's something that God is saying very plainly here is that it will be much more difficult to deal with children when your own age is on the decline anyway. As your own strength declines with age, it is also much harder to deal with the sinful and stubborn heart of a child later in your life it's even harder to deal with the physical needs of a child later in life. You know, you, you uh, think of uh, fathers, right? It's much harder to carry them and throw them about. And even those simple things that we enjoy with our children, much harder when it's later in your life. Again, if you've done this, what is done is done. The Lord is gracious. But if you are at that stage in life as a youth, do not delay in having children. What you are doing is you're compounding difficulties and heaping them on yourself. Well, verse 5 says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Here, the Lord speaks of happiness, coming to the man that has a quiver full of children. This is, again, that archery analogy and, uh, or, or illustration, and saying that the blessedness actually comes. The man who trains the children... And has several in his quiver. Again, there's no, there's no set number here that, uh, that you can dictate by the word of God. Uh, the general guide is have as many as you can. And there's several factors that go into that. But have as many as you can. If the, children, if the Lord will bless you with children in that way. But it says, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. And the Lord has been consistent in this theme of having children as many as you can throughout the scripture. In Genesis 1.28, after Adam and Eve are formed, we, we are, are, are created, we read, and God blessed them and God said unto them what? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Genesis 9.1, after the flood, Noah tells his sons, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Children, being made in the image of God, think of this, are to fill the earth, covering the earth. Now, if you have been indoctrinated by secular humanism, this is essentially heresy of the greatest sort. 
In fact, you might still be conditioned by Stanford University professor Paul Ehrlich, who wrote that highly influential book in 1968 called, you might know this, The Population Bomb. What did he say? He made a prediction that in the 1970s, hundreds of millions of people would starve of famine because too many children were being born. This is really the mantra. This is the guiding principle of the secular humanist manifesto, which is to say that children are a net loss on the world. But what is it that they are trying to prohibit, which is really the knowledge of the glory of the Lord spreading across the seas, right? We want to have children that praise the name of God. We want more and more children to bless and praise the Lord. And of course, his prediction in the 1970s never came to pass. But what was the result? Even today, this is ingrained in us, and he he refuses to retract his thesis. Many decided not to have children, and they found grief instead. Uh, it was interesting. One online article on the book, uh, you know, had a comment section, and one man gave this sad testimony. He said, I was a college student when I read Mr. Ehrlich's The Population Bomb. I took it to heart and now have no grandchildren. But 50 years later, the population has increased to 8 billion without dire consequences. I was gullible and stupid. How are you prevented from being gullible and stupid when the world comes up with a new, th- new thought? You go to the Bible. You go to the Bible. No man who has followed the word of God has been gullible or stupid because they have the wisdom of God. So the lesson is, children especially, believe God's word and not man's assertions. Every time, right, man asserts something contrary to the word of God, something the Bible might call worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is not just proven wrong, but proven stupid. God will provide. Don't you think that he who has a cattle on a thousand hills, right, will provide as people increase over the earth? He has every resource at his disposal. And one day as a mass of people, you think of this, right? God wants many, a multitude no man can number to praise him in heaven. And one day as a mass of people are converted by the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will come in power and turn these hearts to Jesus Christ. And then God will have the glory of many souls and not few. A great number that no man can number. And you think on this, believer, this is for you especially. Right? Where are our believers birthed ordinarily? In the cradle of the believer's home. This is, this is what happens, right? Why? Because every day the word of God is read. Every day the children are prayed for. Every day they are exhorted to close with Christ. And to have faith and trust in him. So of course, the the Christian home is the ordinary cradle of the new heart. They come to church with us here. Here they are. And this is what he often uses as a great, this is interesting, right? In our text, the children are seen as a great offensive weapon, aren't they? Right? They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Right, so we, we have a care that our children are actually used by the Lord against the enemies of God. And as we seek the extension of the kingdom, one of the great blessings I have always found, and I suspect it is for you as well, parents, is watching our children even go and evangelize with us. Right? Here they are, the youngest ones of all, and they're the ones, they, they seem to be the arrows most suited to, to sort of lodge themselves under the hard armor of the unregenerate. As they hand a tract to a man or woman who would not pick one up from us. And yet here is an arrow fired off with skill towards the enemies of God. And we believe that often conversions might happen through their work. Our children are of use. And the point is they are a blessing and not a burden. A blessing to the church and to your home. But returning to Ehrlich and this ingrained idea that children are a burden. In fact, it is Ehrlich's Right? You know, he said, oh, million, hundreds of millions of people are going to die. It's actually his thinking that has caused hundreds of millions of people to die. When you think on a child as a burden, where do you go? To the abortionist. You see, in a perverse sort of way, his thesis was proven true only if you believe his book. Not overpopulation, but abortion. Because we are scared into thinking a child is a burden and not a blessing. And they are put to death and how Satan laughs at our stupidity. God is not mocked though, friends. Look at nations that have restricted childbirth like China. 
Now what's happening? They are scrambling to figure out who is going to take care of our aging population. Do you see, God is not mocked. Any society that refuses to kiss the sun and refuses to bow down to the wisdom of God will find themselves in desolation. This is just man's stupidity. And what will the consequences be on our society as the birth rate is now coming lower than the replacement rate? Now, I would say this as well, even as we think on these things. Uh, We have to be very careful before we ourselves, though, judge the number of children or lack thereof in a family, right? Before you have understanding or knowledge of a situation, you know, a lot of us have caused the grief of Job's friends, right? It's not for you or me to judge without knowledge. We are to judge with righteous judgment. If you know somebody refuses to have a child for ungodly reasons, that's one thing. You know, you can counsel them with the word of God, but do not prejudge, right? Why does that family only have one child? Why does that family only have two children? Why does that family have no children? And you might find great griefs are there, right? Don't speak before you hear a matter. These are some of the most profound matters of grief and sorrow. So tread lightly, friends, before you judge anyone's lack of children. In that, we also have to remember the gospel is not have as many children as you can, right? Many saints will have no children or will have few And so we remember what the gospel hope is instead, that Christ came to save sinners. What of infertility? I want to deal with that real briefly. I'll cover that probably another time in more detail. What you must not see is if you believe here, the word of God says that children are heritage. It does not mean that if you don't have children, God has cursed you, right? It's rather interesting that if you look in the Bible, that the saints that we know who suffered with infertility are actually the ones who seem to have their faith most commended, right? Sarah and Hannah, they faced this grief. So if your hope and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not necessarily follow he is chastening you. You must think of the question the disciples asked Jesus himself. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. John chapter 9. You know, it's very interesting. You might remember that text incorrectly. You might have thought that it was the Pharisees who asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? But who asked the question? It was the disciples, showing that we have to tread very carefully ourselves right? We have a hard time sometimes understanding providence. And sometimes it's not that a couple has sinned, and that's the reason they don't have children. But often it is for the sake of the glory of God manifest in them that they have no children. Sometimes he shows the glory of the grace of adoption through them, or sometimes to show that even in grief, it is faith in the Lord that is of first priority that a couple like this possesses, or any other number of reasons, which we may get to another time. So what if you have no children, never have had children? Does this mean God has given you no inheritance? Of course not, beloved. You know, your primary inheritance is not your children anyway, right? What does the Bible say is the believer's inheritance, their portion? Psalm 16, 5 through 6. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Because my inheritance is the Lord. It is Jesus who is your inheritance. We are not Mormons. Praise God for that on many levels. Family is not our God. Jesus is our God. Jesus is our portion. You know, part of the problem of the fad of the quiverful movement and other such trends in the church is that they can elevate good things, family even, over Christ himself. And that has produced untold grief in the hearts. Can you imagine going to a church like that where every Lord's Day it's about how God blesses you because you have children? And he does. We believe that. I just preach that. But if that's the only blessing that the Christian ever imagined that they could possibly have from the Lord, how much of a burden that has been. Here's a general principle. Whenever a church elevates something over Christ himself, grief will result. But if Jesus is the main thing, if he is your great reward, then whatever providence the Lord has for us, as long as we are not sinning willfully, 
We will embrace the words of Job that we heard two weeks ago. The Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We will say with the Apostle Paul, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So you need to hear what I'm saying. There's a huge difference between willfully neglecting to have children In other words, to sort of castrate yourself, to not have them for sinful reasons, but in God's, uh, compared to in God's providence, to not being able to have children. Sometimes even for the sake of a wife that cannot have another child for medical or other reasons. We wouldn't want to tempt God in those ways. That said, ordinarily, have as many children as the Lord will give you, either by nature or by adoption. Also, remember what I said on the last sermon on marriage, right? Here we had, I just read the Apostle Paul's words, never married, never had physical children. We have our Lord Jesus Christ himself, never married uh, in, you know, in the flesh, so to speak, and never had physical children. And yet they had spiritual children. He, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. You can pour yourself out into others and have a great many spiritual children who will embrace you in heaven. I'll leave that there and maybe um, expand on that in future sermons. Let's consider the final heading, the Lord's Holy Seed. Now this theme as well I will expand upon in later sermons, but children belong to the Lord. They are given to you for his purposes and not yours. They're not even given to you, and here's where you have to begin, parents. They're not given to you so that the children themselves can assert what they want out of their own life, but rather what God's purpose is for them, right? It's not so much that you sit down with little Johnny and Jane and you say, well, what is it you would like to do? And they say, well, I I would like to investigate all the world's religions, and then one day maybe I'll figure out one, or maybe I feel like I should be an atheist, and you pat them on the head and you say, go and do that. No, no. They are raised for the Lord. They are given from the Lord to you. And that's what you have to understand. Where do we get out of scripture that I will let the children decide what to do with their lives in these areas, right? In godliness. You know, they can decide their lawful calling if it is lawful, fine. They can uh, marry uh, whoever they choose so long as they are godly, fine. But they don't get to choose in matters of religion. They are the Lord's children. What did Joshua say? As for me and, did he just say me and myself and I? No, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They are mine, God says. One of the purposes for marriage is articulated in Malachi 2.15. And did he not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one? What? That he might seek a godly seed. He makes two one that he, that meaning the Lord, meaning Christ, would have a godly seed. This is the first and foundational principle in raising children, Christian. God wants a godly seed out of you. That is why he entrusts these children to you. Everything else is subservient to this aim for the arrows he has given to you. If you would see this, it would inform every aspect of child rearing. It would inform what they do on the Lord's Day. It would inform what kind of friends they will and will not have, what kind of media they will consume, what kind of schooling they will have, what kind of church they will go to, what kind of home life you will give them. All of it. And you will resolve for your own walk with the Lord to never, ever put a stumbling block before these children. Any human impediment to the faith must be taken out of your own life What did Christ say about those who caused the little ones to stumble? You better get a millstone around your neck thrown into the ocean. You are not to give them any reason to blaspheme God. Your life must be godly itself. You must not be neglectful of them. If they abandon the Lord, may it never be said it was your conduct that did it. This idea is why our children are baptized 
And we take vows to God to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And why the New Testament says this very same thing. 1 Corinthians 7.14 For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they what? Holy. What does that mean? It means they are set apart for the Lord. He has given you this children, these children. They are His heritage to you. And He expects you to steward them well. As holy unto the Lord. Oh, beloved, you need to see your children as consecrated to God, for God, by God. And you are to make them live their lives for the Lord. And so we will consider that in more detail in individual sermons. But remember, from the time of their youth, they are to be trained for godliness. To foremost know what? The Holy Scripture. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15? And that, from when? From a child. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able, what? To make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From a child, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. From a young lad. And that's what you must do for your own holy children. From a child, Timothy had known the way to be wise unto salvation through through the Old Testament. How to be wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. From a child, then show them this primary theme. Show them Jesus Christ in the Scripture and the way of salvation. May it never be said on that last day that your children did not know the gospel from a child. Boys and girls, do you know that? Do you know the gospel that you are born into this world as a sinner and you need Christ? You need Christ desperately for salvation. I trust your parents here have taught you that. But the word of God tells you you can be wiser than all your instructors. You can be wise today if you flee to Jesus for salvation. If you have not already put your faith in him. What wisdom there is in the Bible that you can know from the time you were a child. Do not neglect the scriptures, boys and girls. They are wisdom to you from God. Here's the thing. David said, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. As arrows in the hand of the Redeemer, through his word, you can be wiser than the enemies of God and be of great use to God in that. And there are other duties as well, parents. Right? These children are to be catechized as holy ones. Right? They are to know the doctrine of the Holy Scripture. Then they are to pray. They are to exercise themselves devotionally to the Lord. Right? They, we don't take the view that some uh, who deny that children are holy, are not saved holy in that way, but holy is set apart for the Lord. We don't take the, the, the idea that, well, when they make a profession of faith, then they can exercise faith. We take the view from, like with Timothy, from the time they are as a child, they exercise faith in whatever seed form they might have it. They are to pray. They are to read. They are to go to church. They are to praise and bless the name of God. They are to think on others and pray in their private devotions. They are to make these practices even before they make a public profession of faith. From the time they are conceived in the womb, they are to be treated as holy to the Lord. There's a warning to us in Ezekiel 16.20. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me. Where's the ownership here, right? Uh, he doesn't say thou hast born unto you. He says thou hast born unto me, meaning Jehovah. And these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? When you don't raise them up to be holy to the Lord, you are raising them up to be devoured and sacrificed to the world. And he's asking, what are you doing with these children that I that you have borne unto me. They are mine. You need to raise them that way. You need to say that the ownership of this child is not me. I am a steward for a time. I am like uh, somebody who has been entrusted with a great and priceless possession that belongs to the Lord. And I will raise him in every way or her in every way for for the, the Lord. And I am not to sacrifice them on the world's altar. They belong to God. And here's the thing, right? You know, we often meditate on this, that elders are going to answer to God for every one of you here. 
But you, parents, are going to answer to God for every one of your children. You will answer to God how you raised them, the friends that you told them they could have, for the kinds of things that they could ingest, and all the things that has led them astray from the Lord. You will answer to God. Now the Lord is very gracious, and we repent immediately when we are convicted, and the Lord is very kind, and we have our hope in that and not in our own conduct. But if, if they abandon Christ, right, that it will be on them. They will have to answer to Christ for that. You have no power over their heart ultimately. But if you neglect to raise them for the Lord, the Lord has a controversy with you just as he had with Eli. What did God say of Eli? For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile. And here's the thing. And he restraineth them not. He did not restrain his children to walk in the way of the Lord. And so God has a controversy with Eli and his entire house. You must restrain your children from evil, point them to the word and Christ in the word continually, teach them to be holiness unto the Lord, living by faith and repentance continually. Labor, parents, to keep a clean conscience before God when it comes to your children. Because here's the thing, every day remind yourself of this in your prayers. They are not mine. They are his. They are your children, Lord. Let me raise them up in the nurture and admonition of what? the Lord. Bring them to Christ in every way. Suffer little children, he said, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We'll have to leave this first sermon with that thought tonight, that your children are a heritage of the Lord, but they are also a heritage for the Lord, a blessing and not a burden. And that will put everything we will speak of in the future in child rearing in its proper place. And again, if you have been negligent in these things, and I know some of us are wounded, I was wounded in several ways, even as I prepared this sermon, remember the grace of the Lord. What you and I must do is repent of our sin and turn to him and then purpose to walk in new obedience, committing our children in more and more ways to the Lord. The Lord, you know, we thought on the ideal and what we ought to do, which is to raise them up when they are young because it's hard to correct a, a mighty oak tree. Right, But the Lord at the same time says, and our hope is in this, that he can restore the years that the locusts have chewed away. Right, And so with trust and faith in the Lord, never be hopeless, but flee to the Lord for grace and mercy in your time of need. May Christ bless our children and our homes so that a great army for himself would arise out of us. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. O oh Lord, our God, you are so gracious and kind. Help us to remember that even our children are not ours absolutely, but only relatively so, that they are yours. Help us bear children for the glory of God, first and foremost, that we would put to death ourselves, that we would see them as a blessing, and that we would also care for those children that are in the congregation that are not ours, and whether we are, have children, whether we don't have children, whether we'll never have them, whether we're too, uh, we are beyond our child-rearing age uh, right now, Father, we pray that all of us would know what it is to be as a child. You say when we are converted, we come into the kingdom of God as a child. Help us to be children before God, to revere and respect your holy name. Would you bless us, your people, in these ways? For the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen.